we're looking for authentic leaders. We're looking for people who truly intend to serve. Um, and and so you can, you just can't serve a community when you're driven by your ego. You can't serve a community well when you're driven by your ego. And so I ask people a lot now, what kind of ego do you have and how do you check it? Because I'm fascinated on how people uh, interpret that on their own because it's helpful for how I learn how to do the same. Hello there and welcome to Market podcast that explores the dynamic world of marketing, community, and culture, and explores how these elements intersect to build amazing brands. This is a show where we talk to marketers about their journeys and their secrets to success. Before we begin today's episode, we wanted to remind you to head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe to Market, so you get notified every time episodes go live. This podcast is brought to you by Rightsleep, an award-winning promotional products agency located in the heart of Toronto. We believe in the power of branded merchandise to create emotional connections with brands. So connect with us online at rightsleeve.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Rightsleeve. I'm Ria Lupton, Marketing Manager at Rightsleeve. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Market. Today we have Adil Dalla with us. Like, how do you pronounce your name? Adil Dalla. Adil Dalla. Thanks for correcting that. Um, Adil is a community builder who's who needs no introduction, has done so many things that I don't even know where to begin. So we're going to let Adil tell us his story. Welcome to the show, Adil. Thank you so much for having me. And um, you would like to start with a story about community building or like where, where I came from? Where you came from? <laughs> who are you? Who, who is Adil? Uh, well, I mean, maybe maybe just to the to the question about where I came from um, my parents um, met through service uh, when they were both new to Canada um, they were part of a religious community and um, and they were both volunteers within that community and that's how they met and um, I shared that both because like in you know introducing me the way you did mm-hmm. my, my first instinct is to honor where, where I came from and that obviously being my parents and, and many other people but but also I think as it relates to the question around community building um, you know like I, w- I was a baby of servant parents and who met through service and that's amazing yeah I'm, I'm very very privileged in that way and I grew up around it to the point that I don't really see it as a thing it's just someone being kind of ingrained into into my life from a very young age and mm-hmm. so I mean that's where I came from and where you are today in terms of work and your professional life like how did you get started like I mean correct me if I'm wrong but you know when you started doing community building you're like the OG community builder like how <laughs> how did you get interested in that right well um, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the moniker I I don't think I'm the OG community, community builder, um, but I'll give some context. So, you know, I'm the executive director here at the Center for Social Innovation, and prior to that was the director of culture here, um, co-founded a little thing called Camp Resets, uh, chair the board for the Stopgap Foundation, and, you know, a bunch of other things. And no idea that I've ever pursued is really my own. You know, all, all ideas are really just a, uh, a combination of, of a bunch of, different energies and interests that have come together and and similarly there's really nothing that I, I can really say that I've been like I've done this or figured this out on on my own and in all the things that I'm doing right now whether it's CSI or stock app or reset etc uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of people who've come before me in some which way uh, and so 
you know, like I'm, I'm very again, like I use the word privileged to say that like I've I've grown up and been surrounded by as I've matured as a, as a human being um, around lots of other community builders mm-hmm. who have by by virtue of their actions and through their words. Uh, given me uh, the lessons that, that, that I now impart or and that I now kind of um, get a chance to, to live by. Um, and a lot of the stuff is not the stuff you learn in school. And so I've been really lucky to kind of get that education in other places. Mm-hmm. What are two of the most important community building lessons that you'd like to teach other people? So there are so many different things that I would love to, to teach other people based on the things that other people have taught me. And so kind of just pass it along. I think the first thing that, that, that I'm jamming a lot on right now is as it relates to ego. Mm-hmm. You know, late last year, uh, someone who was really close to me uh, took the time to have a courageous conversation with me where they said, I think your ego is holding you back. And of course, I did what we all do, which was get defensive. And then, <laughs> and then, I, and then I thought a little bit more about it, and I thought there was validity. And so I started asking more people about the perceptions around ego generally and as it relates to me. And, and I, you know, the, the long story short is that I realized that you know, ego exists in all of us, and there is value to, to ego in some ways, depending on, especially on how you define it. Mm-hmm. But, but fundamentally, if you are building community, uh, you need to shed as much ego as you possibly can. Uh, because when you're about community, you're about everyone. Mm-hmm. You're not about yourself. And ego is really something that, that derived is about being about you. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think this is really important because like, when we're looking for authentic leaders, we're looking for people who truly intend to serve. And so you, can, you just can't serve a community when you're driven by your ego. You can't serve a community well when you're driven by your ego. And so I ask people a lot now, what kind of ego do you have and how do you check it? Because I'm fascinated on how people uh, interpret that on their own because it's helpful for how I learn how to do the same. So I'm interested in that. And then and in relate to that, um, I'm interested in a lot of the idea of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And I've used this word service already a couple of times um, because... Um, I think it's really interesting like the, the paradigm around leadership traditionally has always been more of like the leaders at the top and everyone is in service to them and their ambitions and their ideas uh, and I'm really interested in this concept of like well how does how do we invert that where, where leaders really interested in fulfilling the ideas the ambitions and hopes of everyone around them uh, and so I'm really you know to your question as it relates to people who are interested in community building uh, I think the question you have to ask yourself is what kind of leader are you? And I believe servant leaders are those who are most successful in community. Mm-hmm. And to connect it to my other point, I believe servant leaders are those who don't have a lot of ego. And how do you keep your ego in check? I know there's textbook answers, but how mm-hmm. do you personally do it? Uh, well, I'll acknowledge that this is like, I still feel like I'm kind of early in this journey and I have a lot of work to do. What I found to be really helpful is asking people around me uh, to have to have honest conversations. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things is when you have a lot of ego, you, you either don't want to hear or just don't hear when people speak truth. Mm. And so I've been really fortunate to have some people around me where I've said, tell me the truth. And, and for me to sit there in a non-defensive manner and just take that information in. Um, so I think that that's been a big piece of that. I think acknowledging that I have ego and that I've had more ego uh, has been really helpful because whether it's talking to a stranger as I'm relatively doing right now or people who I've known for my entire life it just tends to open up a conversation where we talk in generalities and, and about each other yeah. and, um, and we don't talk about ego a lot 
And yet, fascinatingly, it exists everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everywhere, every, everywhere, we, there's instances of ego. But it rarely comes up, and I think that's because most of us don't want to face the truth. I didn't want to face the truth. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, the, the more comfortable we are with these courageous conversations, the more we can learn, not just about ego, but in so many other ways yeah. about ourselves. Well, that's, that must have been like a really hard conversation for your friend to have with you. Like, kudos to him or her for having the guts to you know, come up and be like, okay... Yeah, I, um, you know, I think, I think that there's, it's interesting, right? Like when, when people really care about you, um, hopefully that means that they care enough to say the hard things. Yeah. And, uh, and if you can surround yourself with people who, who speak truth, it can be hard, mm -hmm. but it ultimately will mean uh, that it will be better. And the reason why I started asking this question was also because a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast uh, tend to be in the startup industry. And in startups, as we are all well aware, founder syndrome is a very big thing. And I truly believe that everybody's job is community building. Like, mm. it's not just a community manager that has to do community building. Everybody has to do it. Right. So I'm asking that from the context of, you know, how can startup founders keep it in check? Because I find that it's off the charts sometimes, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and this is actually, it's a, it's a great point in question because... You know, I, I did say that, that sometimes EO can be a very valuable tool. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think in the context of crea creating something, you actually need a little bit of ego because you face so much resistance in different ways mm -hmm. that that EO can be a really valuable driving force to it. But, you know, you, you, you appropriately mentioned, well, then how do you keep it in check? And and again, I think that that, that comes down to, like, who, who are you surrounding yourself by? And are they honest with you? Like truly honest, and we know the answer to that. We know when people are being honest or not. One of my favorite lessons that I learned that I live by, and I share with a lot of people, um, it's a management lesson called the the, the mirror in the window, and uh, and basically what it says is that when our natural behavior is that when things go right, we tend to look in the mirror, and that when things go wrong, we tend to look in the window and we point to everyone who is responsible for going wrong. I I think an egoless way to approach this and from the lesson I learned was strong leaders are those who look in the mirror when things go wrong and they identify well what could I have done better mm -hmm. and strong leaders when things go right look out the window and they identify everyone who's responsible for that and and I and I think that that's that kind of leadership uh, is paramount to the success of a you know successful startup community organization you name it uh, and the behavior that you can build looking in the mirror, uh, it will keep yourself in check. And if you can't do it yourself, surround yourself by people who can. I'm getting chills right now. <laughs> That's amazing. Great. Do you um, need a jacket? No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Um, talk to me a little bit more about uh, CSI and what um, CSI's mandate and what you guys do here. Of course. Um, thank you for asking. The CSI, for those that don't know, is the Center for Social Innovation. Um, we started uh, 13 years ago because our founders, uh, you know, all believed that there was a different way that we could work together. Mm -hmm. And uh, they believed in this concept of this open space where people had a common purpose and, and shared not just space, but their ideas, their opportunities, their networks. Today, this seems like quite obvious because the open workspace slash the co-working movement is like everywhere. Uh, but when CSI started, this was a relatively nascent idea. 
mm-hmm. the world was in working in cubicles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and our founders really felt that there needed to be a, uh, another way that could be more collaborative. Uh, and so, you know, CSI started because people wanted to share. And specifically, share ideas about how to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we started with that premise. We faced a tremendous amount of resistance uh, t- towards this actually working. You know, people being like, well, people will just be competitive. How do you ensure people don't post jobs and opportunities? Uh, people would need walls, all these things. Um, but as we all know now, the, the idea of shared space and co-working has um, proliferated in, in so many ways. And so today, CSI, you know, has four locations in Toronto and, and affiliate spaces in New York City and London, Ontario. Uh, you know, home collectively to over 1,500 organizations between all these spaces, all of whom have a common purpose, and that's to make the world a better place. And they come to our spaces to work together, to learn together, to grow together. And, you know, a lot of people like to identify us or ask us, are we an incubator or an accelerator? And, I, and, and certainly when people come here, their work is accelerated. Um, but, but I like to refer to us as a home because for some people, um, they can accelerate, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to grow their organizations, their projects to lots of people and needing mm-hmm. lots of size. Um, there's beauty in small. In mm-hmm. fact, especially if we're thinking in a hyper-local way, um, there are organizations that, you know, like a, a, a local coffee shop that doesn't yeah. need to be a big chain in order for them to identify success. Yeah. And um, so CSI is home to the small and, and we really pride ourselves in, in providing uh, an inclusive environment for people uh, to come here and, and meet, connect and grow together. It's an amazing space. Like I'm always amazed by whenever I come here, people are so passionate and they're so, you know, in their work. But at the same time, like I've seen people get up, like even in the 10 minutes that I was sitting outside waiting for you, people get up and talk to other people, mm-hmm. like even if to get a glass of water. And that to me, to create that kind of culture and community, that's amazing. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, there, there has been so many people who have been responsible for that, um, both from a team level, but the community itself. And, and I think this is the interesting thing about community building is like when people join your community, the clearer you are about what the expectations there is of them, the more likely they are to actually live up to that. Mm-hmm. Also, the more likely they are to self-select out, which is totally fine. You know, one of the instincts that we all have you know, not we all have. That's a that's a broad statement. Um, one instinct that that folks tend to have, and certainly I've had in the past, is trying to be something for everyone. Yeah. And um, you know, sometimes sometimes that makes sense as we as we talk about from the perspective of inclusion. Um, but but you know, in the context of building an organization or community, like sometimes it's really challenging to to be all the things mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're all the things um, you don't have a chance of doing something pretty well mm-hmm. and so you know in the context of community building like with CSI like we've been really clear to be like here are our values here's what we stand for and here are our expectations for what it means to be a member of our community every single person that applies to be a part of CSI is asked in the form what are you bringing to the Mm-hmm. And, you know, these little things are actually really significant because they help people understand, well, these are the rules of engagement. And I'm either in or I'm out. If I'm out, that's totally okay because there are other communities that are out there. And so long as you've been given the opportunity to self-select in and considered and, and provided access for, um, people will make that decision. And so CSI has been really good at being like, here's who we are. And our community strong because of the incredible people in it and because they know what the rules of engagement are mm-hmm. within it. So you must get asked a lot of questions about community buildings. 
like community building. Why did I say community buildings? <laughs> uh, what are the two most common questions that you get? So I think the, the first one that we often get is like, how, you know, where, where do you start with building a community? And, and um, my answer often comes back to your values. You know, v- values are something that, that we all intellectually understand what they are, but but often the um, the act of like putting them into practice is like a little bit more lost. Uh, and and the reason why this is really relevant is because your values define your culture. Mm-hmm. And you know, culture is something we again we all intellectually understand, but it's a little bit more. Uh, it's harder to grasp. It's like glue. When it's working, you don't notice it. And when it's not working. Uh, you really, really notice it, and and so you know I I often ask people people often ask like where do I start and I say well well what do you stand for what are your values ultimately that becomes the DNA of your culture, mm. um, and the second thing uh, the second people often ask is how do you deal with conflict within community, and you know the answer to that obviously is is often very specific to the context of the situation. Um, and so it's hard to provide a kind of blanket statement in you know, what I would say in that scenario. But one thing I, I, I can say that I think might be valuable to those who do this work is like, you know, c- conflict, is, conflict is inevitable. And, and in fact, especially if your community or your individuals are um, pushing, pushing boundaries and trying to grow, like there's also discomfort that comes from that. Mm-hmm. And I think as a, as a leader of said community, you, you need to find... Um, you need to create the space for not only for those conflicts to exist, but for the space for the healing and the work that needs to be done after to figure out what was learned from mm-hmm. it. I think far too often as community builders, we we kind of exist in this like uh, unicorn world that like there's never going to be any problems within our community, and when they do, like we just kind of like want to sweep them under the carpet. But like, I I kind of like take the I kind of take the approach of like, uh, you know, they're real, they happen. Let's not, let's not sweep them over the carpet. In fact, let's let's make this a really visible thing, so that way we can do the work of learning, because because we we need to do that work in order to figure out how to all get along and exist in our in our respective mm-hmm. community. And so uh, an example of that is we organized this event earlier this year at Honest Ed's. Uh, which for those people who are listening to this podcast who are not familiar, it's an iconic department store in, in Toronto that um, uh, it has closed its doors recently and is being broken down. And, and the city of Toronto and the citizens of Toronto have had a love affair with it. And we really wanted to honor Ed's and the people who were part of that narrative, whether they worked or shopped there, by giving it a farewell party. And uh, what we're doing right now is uh, we've been compiling the report based on the feedback that we've gotten that was both given virtually and in person. We've been compiling a report on basically how well we did as it relates to, to the inclusion of our event. Mm-hmm. And then we're publicizing that report. And th- the purpose of that is to, is to acknowledge uh, our learnings, acknowledge our shortcomings, uh, acknowledge and create the space for us to also listen on how we can do the work, and so we're we're not Im- not necessarily like embracing confrontation, but we're embracing the fact that we're imperfect and that we need to keep doing the work, and that the best way to do that is to be honest and straight about it. And speaking of honesty, you recently wrote a blog post about Camp Reset, which is another one of the ventures that uh, uh, Adil is involved in, and I would love to find out a little bit more about Camp Reset for those who are not aware what it is. Yeah, of course. So Camp Reset um, is an adult summer camp 
uh, that uh, I have the honor of being one of the co-founders of, and there's, there's eight of us total. And um, uh, and you know the the premise of camp is uh, creating a space for us to tap into our highest selves, uh, a place where we can be free to be ourselves, uh, and a place where we can meaningfully connect with others. Uh, and so the way that we, we do it, in kind of broadest of strokes, is like you, you come to camp, and we take away your technology, uh, we ask you to use a nickname, and we tell you you can't talk about work. And for about four days, we've designed an agenda that's intended to um, connect people through play. And play being kind of the social lubricant that we all um, had as children, but the, but as we get older, we're either taught or we learn that play is not really a thing that adults do, mm-hmm. um, and uh, at least in the sense that when you're growing up, and and so Cambridge is just an opportunity to go to set the clock back um, and connect with people in a different way, and it's mm-hmm. been a, a real privilege to to be able to host that experience now for three years. I have a friend who went to Camp Reset and he described it as. It was like being a kid again, and I think that's such a great way of putting it. Um, and I hope to, you know, go there one day myself. You're you're most welcome. You know what it is about being a kid again? It's it's like at recent, I think by removing your name, your identity, your technology, like we remove distractions and, mm-hmm. and the and the baggage that we have as adults. Yep. Now we still obviously have what we have in us from our lived experiences, and so reset kind of gives you this opportunity to like. To service a lot of this stuff and, and do that work, um, and and so for some people it's it's an experience where you you connect with other like-minded people. For other people, it's a very uh, it's a it's a journey around healing, uh, and so like that and that experience is like you know beg the question like do we, you know do we do we do a recess specifically for activists mm-hmm. or, for, or do we do one for seniors or do one for couples and and that's kind of like where our mind is going in terms of a roadmap. Um, but you know it's 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 interesting. We are more connected than ever, and in some ways, we're more disconnected than ever. Mm-hmm. And we started reset because all of us felt that we needed something different to mm-hmm. connect ourselves to one another, and and it came out of that that pain and that problem, uh, this beautiful, playful thing called reset. And it, it, it's been um, it's been an incredible journey to create. Mm-hmm. So Adil was talking about uh, honesty, and I recently read a blog post that you wrote about Camp Reset and why the prices of the tickets are going up. What spurred that? Yes, actually, the the, the premise of the post was the, the tickets actually went a little bit down this year, although we, we created premium tickets this mm-hmm. year uh, in order for folks who have the privilege of, of more financial resources to mm-hmm. pay extra in order for us to provide more subsidized tickets. Um, but, but yes, the premise of the post was to be transparent about our uh, financial picture. And uh, it was entirely, um, uh, what's, what am I looking for? Uh, it wasn't uh, It wasn't reactive, it was just strategic. Um, in that, like, we just felt that um, the more institutions and organizations are transparent about the things that they're not transparent about, the more likely that we're developed tr- that we're that we as the consumers or participants can develop trust, and so um, you know, f- and for us to do the work of reset, we're we're asking people to come, you know, t- to the space and, and to to kind of have this journey with us. Um, trust is really paramount, and so so we really just wanted to be really proactive and saying like, here's like here's how it works, here's how the money flows, um, and 
and also just kind of lay the groundwork to include our community in the conversation about how do we scale mm-hmm. and continually be uh, think about resilience because up until this point research has been a primarily volunteer run organization and we know in some ways that's that can continue going but in other ways that might not be sustainable if we want to do more and so it was an invitation to to look under the hood um to to know us and our most naked selves because we want to develop and build that kind of trust and 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 it was also an invitation to say like here's who we are and what we do and like are you do you have any ideas on how we can do this differently better with you See, it was so inherently ingrained in me to think that that was that might have been a reactive post because that's how brands, organizations, or communities tend to do it. But it's amazing that you know you did it proactively, and I think there's a community building lesson in there too. Like trust is not a thing that you need to build when something goes wrong; it's something that you have to continually work on. Yes, and if you're not ahead, you're behind, and. Um, and, and, and so this can be applied to a number of different ways. So, for example, as it relates to the topic of like inclusion and diversity and equity mm-hmm. and access of your community, your space, your organization, whatever it is, if you're not being proactive about this, then, then, you're, then you're behind and you're consistently being in a place of being responsive mm-hmm. to the fact that you are, you are not fully including people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just want to be really clear in saying that in all the communities I work in, Reset, CSI, mm-hmm. etc., we, we, we have so much work to do as it pertains to inclusion and diversity. Uh, and so in some cases we are being reactive, uh, but where we can be, um, uh, you know, where we can be strategic and, and in front uh, and ahead of things, the more we can make decisions from a place of abundance and the more we can do things um, where we can truly incorporate uh, different perspectives and different people as opposed to playing catch-up and being uh, tokenizing, mm-hmm. for example, when we're trying to figure out how to, how to do certain things. So we've got a lot of work to do, but I'm really proud of that post and just the, the decision of our board, who I just want to honor for the... They, they were the ones who really put that together um, in, in showing that transparency and taking that leadership, and I really appreciate you reading it too. Yeah, of course. And, uh, okay, next question is more about uh, culture as it pertains to startups. Mm. How do you think, you know, I don't even know how to structure this question, but how do you think startups can build a culture that's both inclusive, but at the same time is supports creativity, productivity? Like, how can you build... The ideal culture as we define it. Like, I don't even know how to define an ideal culture, but I heard you speak at Culture Lab X um, mm-hmm. that happened at Shopify, which is just, you know, a stone's throw away from here. Um, and you talked about how you need to design your culture that takes into, into account diversity, inclusiveness, and all of those other amazing things. So I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Right. Well, um, Huge question. We could probably spend the rest of our yeah. are we talking about yeah. this? But I'll try and still a, f- a few quick things here. So um, first, just on this topic of like inclusion and diversity, like you know why is it important? Um, you know there is obviously uh, the, the case that we're all familiar with is, is a, the case as it relates to like our moral and ethical obligation to ensure that everyone is getting an equal opportunity mm-hmm. at life and that and that where where social justice and where justice is required that 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 exists so that's that's well well understood but you, you know i think that um i think the thing that's often missed is that like 
we're simply better when we have a diversity of folks at the table with the role. Um, our ideas, our, our projects, our initiatives are richer when you bring a uh, diversity of lived experiences together. It's typically when we have a lack of diversity that we tend to create a lot of the same. Mm-hmm. And, and, and innovation certainly is something that we, we've studied a lot here at CSI. And, and we just we increasingly know that we, you just cannot have social innovation without inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that many of the problems that we have today exist because they were created by the few for the many. Mm-hmm. And so we need, to, we need to think differently here. And so I just want to say that like, um, it's important because I've talked to a lot of folks in the startup world who are like, look, like, I just can't, like, I can't rationalize, you know, at this point with the resources I have, um, why it would make sense to, to invest in certain things as it relates to inclusion and diversity. And, and I, I just want, to, to anyone who's listening on iPhone, I just want to say, like, you're better because of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you, you're, and there's so much research and data that, that proves that organizations that invest here um, perform better. And so, so, so for those who need a business case, there is a business case. Um, now, to your question about like culture and like the making the ideal culture, like the thing is, is that you know culture is like a, it's like a fingerprint. Like there's no culture that's the same. Uh, it, it is, it is the product. Uh, it always changes based on on the variables that exist, and whether it's again an organization, a company, a neighborhood. Um, and so, I I don't think that there's such a thing as creating the ideal culture. Period, but I think you can create like a a an ideal culture for for X, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess sorry, I don't know if that point was clear, but I just want to reiterate that there's no one 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 way. Yeah. Um, and and I think so. So to you know go back to how you go about doing it, um, and obviously the the answer can be multifaceted, but I'll just make a case for right now for intentionality. It is. Culture will happen whether you bring intention to it or not. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in fact, often when you don't bring intention out into culture, where culture tends to go wrong. You know, my role actually, prior, prior to being the ED here, I, I mentioned I was the director of culture. And I, I just want to like really honor, you know, Tanya Sherman, who's the CEO and, and one of the co-founders of CSI. You, you know, when she, she was thinking about this role that I had, when she realized that CSI, which had previously been in one location, was was just uh, um, entered into two and it was about to go to three and it was about to go to four and she realized that she couldn't be everywhere and you know culture often is the comes from a lot of that comes from the founders mm-hmm. and so and so she she really smartly was like okay well I want to create a role where someone is playing a role stewarding this culture and we can dive deeper into that but I, but the point to distill as it relates to what you're asking is she brought a level of intentionality to it, which I just thought was like so incredibly smart. And um, and if you if you do not bring intention to building a culture, someone will build it for you, mm-hmm. and and that's where you're on the losing end of it. And so that that would be like, I, I would love to write a book on this at some point, but uh, you should. but but uh, yeah, at some point, at some point with a lot of other people who who we've learned from. But um, but if I were to start anywhere, I would be like, you just need to bring intention. Right, uh, we are moving towards the end of this conversation, and uh, I have another last question for you. If you could have brunch with one community builder, dead or alive, who would it be, and why? Uh, great question. So the first person that comes to mind, um, and this is because I'm such a 
a fanboy uh, is Barack Obama. Okay. Uh, I don't know uh, um, if, if everyone knows this, but you know, prior to becoming uh, a political figure, Barack Obama was a community organizer. And I don't know that. Yeah, he was, and um, uh, and and so, and I think, and I think, really, if you look at like the, his his rise and the way that his campaign um, his campaigns were were laid out, like. It was very clear that he was coming from uh, an experience, an experience as a community mm-hmm. organizer, and it's very clear when you when you, when we hear him speak and, and the types of things he reference, like, like the man was like a facilitator, like he was, like he is, uh, you know, facilitator in many ways, who who clearly had this experience, um, you know, on the ground, and so like I would love to have lunch with Brock. Mm-hmm. I would, uh, uh, I would also not know if I call him Barack at first <laughs> and uh, just because I, I hold such high regard mm-hmm. um, uh, and I'd probably be super shy uh, at first but I would I would be really um, enthusiastic to, to spend some time with him and I'll just put the intention out there at some point I will I don't know if it's brunch uh, but at some time I will I will at some point spend some time with him and I'm really looking forward mm-hmm. to that Hey, Barack, if you're listening to this, have brunch with Adil and also come on to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm happy to pay. Uh, it would be great. And uh, and I'd also love to chat with him. And as it relates to equity, um, you know, his partnership with Michelle, um, you know, obviously, and I see what, I see, what we all see publicly, um, just seemed to be such a model as it relates to, like, equity in a relationship. And um, I'd love to learn from him uh, and her. Uh, I love Michelle. Yeah, how to how to do how to do that and, and what we can take because they, they, you know, we forget like I mean they're humans like us, but what they managed and what they continue to manage, uh, you know, required lessons and learnings and skills that like I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'd love to spend some time with both of them if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're listening, right? <laughs> I hope so. I think they're listening. Yeah. All right, Adil. Um, where can people find you online, and how can they connect with you? Um, well, uh, you know, I can be reached by email, Adil, A-D-I-L, at socialinnovation.ca. Uh, I can be found at on Instagram, first name, last name. I'm the only one of that kind. Uh, I think on Instagram, there's one other Adil Della on Facebook. We're friends find me there too <laughs> uh, but I will note that as it relates to LinkedIn and Twitter I use both those platforms but not very well mm-hmm. so please don't take offense if I don't get back to you quickly on either of those uh, but find me I'm at CSI and we host lots of events and if you're in the if you're in Toronto uh, we're so happy to host you and I love and prefer always face-to-face um, uh, as much as it may not scale it's just deeper better stronger all those mm-hmm. things as I've enjoyed today with you thank you thank you This was so much fun. Folks, that's it for now. And I'll see you in the next episode of Market. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by RightSleep, an award-winning promotional products agency located in the heart of Toronto. We believe in the power of branded merchandise to create emotional connections with brands. So connect with us online at rightsleep.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at RightSleep.